Welcome. Thanks for joining us today on the Venture Podcast. We hope this message encourages you and inspires you along your journey. Well, Venture, we have uh, been in a summer series on wisdom, uh, looking at just a few Proverbs and looking at the subject of wisdom. And as I've started each week, one of the reasons uh, we're doing this series is, is I've said, dumb is on the rise. Um, everywhere you see people making dumb decisions about things. In fact, I, I was reading this week, and maybe some of us are guilty of this. Splash Data, it's a company here in uh, Los Gatos, but they put out a, a national list every year of some of the dumbest passwords that people use to guard their data. And you know, the things when you're logging in and you have to enter a password, the, the popular ones, uh, and hackers love these passwords, by the way. And so on the top of the list, some of the most popular passwords, in fact, in the top 10, five or six of them are some combination of this brilliant password, one, two, three, four, five, six, or one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, or one, two, three, four, five, six, as if adding one more digit is really gonna throw them way off. Uh, another one is one, 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 one. How about uh, a few of them that have popped new this year? Sunshine is a new popular password. Well, that's sweet. It's still simple, but it's sweet. QWERTY, QWERTY shows up every year on the list. And I kept looking at it like, why would the word QWERTY show up on the list? Because those who realize I can't just go across the top bar of one, two, three, four, five, six, they just drop down to the next bar of letters and they go Q, W, E, R, T, Y. QWERTY is a password. Baseball, football, basketball, that they are all popular passwords, probably guy related with that. Monkey always is on the list. I don't know if it's so simple a monkey could hack it. That's what they mean with it. I, a couple of new ones that have come up. Donald has made the list the last few years. No telling why that one is there. And then one that I find strange, but it shows up. 666, 666. Somebody has an antichrist fixation here, so uh, with it. You look at all these and, and there's a part of it, and I won't ask you to raise your hand if you ever use any of these passwords. There's a part we laugh with it and, and companies have, I don't know if it drives you crazy now, you know, you can't just use letters, you have to use letters and numbers, you can't just use letters and numbers, now you have to use a symbol. Now, not only that, they then gonna text you a code that you have to put the code in. Why do they go to these lengths? Well, part of it, they have to because we make choices like this. We choose these kind of passwords. But they recognize there's something worth guarding here. There's something important. And, and part of what we're looking at in this series is we're recognizing and scripture recognizes there's key parts of your life you need to guard. And do we have the same level of vigilance over our lives, over our minds, over our hearts that we do over our data. I mean, we're willing to put a bunch of passwords and codes and other things to protect people from getting in things that we consider really important. Do we do the same with our lives? 
See, we've been looking at it and listening to the words from Proverbs as, as Solomon keeps calling us back to this subject of wisdom. And over the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at how do you gain in wisdom? How, how do you grow in wisdom? And, and just to give you a review, when we use this word wisdom, we're talking about having the right knowledge to make the right decision leading to the right action. And so biblical wisdom is not just knowing more. And I wanna emphasize that because there's a lot of really knowledgeable fools that have a ton of information, but they don't know how to make good decisions. And they don't put it actually into action. And as we've looked the last couple of weeks with it, so in order to gain wisdom, a couple of things. The first part is the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. So your first step is always gonna start with the fear of the Lord. Proverbs 1, 7 says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. And we've talked about that concept of the fear of the Lord. We, we, we had to, need to have a reverence, a respect. We need to actually believe God meant what he said. When he says in it, God's not mocked. You're, you're gonna reap what you sow in that there's certain rules of the universe, the way life is designed, and God actually meant it. And especially as the children of God, he meant it enough when he commands us something, he knows that the reason he commanded it is for our good. And so he'll actually hold us to that and call us to that. I don't know about you, uh, having teenagers, one of the most exasperating things as a parent, and it's not just teenagers, it can be little kids too. You ever had that experience where you're asking them to do something and it's like they didn't hear it at all. Their ears were plugged. I mean, you say, I need you to clean your room. And you come back the next day, I need you to clean your room. I need you to clean your room. I need you to take the garbage out. And, and I'll find myself getting frustrated. You, you ever hit that point where you just go, I cannot believe they didn't do it. But here's what I realized. The problem is me. They know kids, man, they can sniff it in a moment. They know when you really meant it. They know if there's actually consequences connected to it. And, and when you don't really mean it, when you're just saying it to saying it and it's a reminder and almost nagging, they know that. And so there's that part where I look at it and I go, whoa, wait, I gotta correct my side of the equation. If I'm calling them to do stuff, I, I really mean it. And, and one of the things you can trust about God, when he calls you to something, he means it. He's not just saying it to saying, he's not just nagging about, not just saying this would be a really good idea. And so this concept of the fear of the Lord is finally a recognition that you go, oh, wait, he's a big God, he's a powerful God, he's a knowledgeable God, he's a wise God, he's a holy God, and he means it. And then you combine that, last week we looked at the second point, the building of wisdom, you start with the fear of the Lord and then you build on it with the trust in the Lord. And so Proverbs 3, 5 and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he'll make your path straight. And, and so gaining in wisdom is always a combination of those two things. If, if you wanna be a person that you go, yeah, I need to gain wisdom, it's always this combination of a fear of the Lord where you come back to God and the more you see God as who he is and you recognize God for who he is and you grow in that respect for him that you go, man, 
there's a healthy fear of the Lord. There's a healthy, healthy reverential awe for who he is combined with a healthy trust in the Lord. That I recognize he's not commanding these things because he has something against me. He's commanding these things because he is the designer of life and he wants me to flourish in it. He, he knows what is best for my heart and my soul. He knows how I was uniquely wired. He designed me from the womb. He, he knows the things, the pathway for me that is best. And so as you go through life and you do those two things that you go, man, I come up against a command of God. I don't really like that. But the fear of the Lord teaches me, man, I need to respect him in what he says. And then trust in the Lord as I start to realize, oh, he said it for my good. He put those boundaries for my good. He drew those lines for my good. And, and as you do those two things together, you know what happens in life? You become wise. So that you know, and I told you last week, every day you make about 35,000 decisions. And so those decisions now are coming out of a base of wisdom that you have been gaining through the process. Now, here's the problem though. Wisdom is not a fixed asset. Here's what I mean with that. Wisdom is not one of those things that you just, you gain wisdom and then once you have it, you just sit on it. I have wisdom now. We often picture it like in Winnie the Pooh when they'd go see Owl. Owl was the one who had wisdom. And so we, we picture kind of once you're wise, you're, you're, you're the wise person and you have it. It's not a fixed asset. It, you have to gain wisdom. And what we want to look at this week though is you also have to guard wisdom. You have to guard it. Proverbs 4 is a great proverb where, where Solomon is laying out this whole principle right from the beginning of how to gain it. And then later in the chapter, he then turns and he says, my son, pay attention to what I say. Turn your ear to my words. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart for their life to those who find them and health to one whole, one's whole body. Hear what he's saying. This wisdom is gonna be a source of life. It's a source of health. God wants your good. But then he puts this caution, above all else. And so that's the part, when you come to that part in your Bible, when you see above all else, that's one of those underlined phrases. Okay, above anything else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Guard your heart because everything else is gonna flow out of that. And so, so he says, you've gained this wisdom, now how do you guard it? And, and notice what he says, guard your heart. He doesn't say guard your mind. Now, when we see that, we, we look at it and, and here's what you need to realize. Wisdom is an issue of the heart. Wisdom is an issue of the heart. Remember when I told you the definition of wisdom is not just knowledge, it's knowledge along with decisions and actions. And those are the things that flow out of the heart. Part of our confusion is the way we use heart in English or our conception of heart in English is a lot like the Greek conception of the world. The, the Greek conception had a, a pretty hard line between head and heart. And the head is the rational part of you. And the heart, when we use heart, what do we mean? It's the emotional part of you. It's the romantic part of you. It's the part of you that gets carried away. And so if you said someone was led by their heart, we would go, oh, that's probably not a good thing. 
Or, and, and I always, you ever see this where people make really foolish choices? And they go, I couldn't help it, my heart led me. Or they'll kind of throw out, the heart wants what it wants. And what they mean out of that is emotionally I got carried away in it and it was the process. That's how we view it. That is not how, especially in Hebrew, but the Bible as a whole, when it's using heart, it's not making that hard distinction between the two. It's not just reducing it to the emotions. In fact, you'll see in it, the heart is the center of thoughts, feelings, personality, and decisions. It's the center of all those things. The heart is, is the center of your life in it. Uh, one writer put it this way, it's the source or seat of your deepest trust, your commitments, your loves. What the heart most loves and trust leads the rest of you. What your heart most loves, your mind will find reasonable. If the core part of your heart loves that, your mind will go, yes, that is reasonable. Your emotions will be desirable toward it and your will doable. So it's, it's this very center part of who you are. Uh, other way that scripture describes it, it's the wellspring, the rest of life flows out of it. And, and so you can see the, Jesus said it this way. It's similar to this. He says, for each tree is known by its fruit for figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil for out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. And Jesus is using this parable. He says, when you come to a tree, you don't come to a lemon tree and expect to find peaches. You don't come to you know, an apple tree and think you're gonna find grapefruit. You, you, whatever that tree is, that's what it produces. And if it's good out of the heart, all of this is being produced. And, and so you'll see this from time to time. I don't, I don't know, if, you know, sometimes people are caught on video saying things, doing things, horrible things. And then, you know, like a, a few days later, especially if they're a public figure, they come back and, and this is always the statement, that that you saw me say and do, that is not who I am. That's not me. Now, again, all of us can make mistakes in a moment, but all of us need to recognize there's a part of it that came out of me. That's what Jesus is saying. I mean, if I got a water bottle here and I take this and I start to pour it. Now, was, were any of you, you might've been shocked I poured it on the carpet. I'm sure facilities are thrilled with me right now. But was there anybody there when I started to pour it, you went, oh, it's water coming out of that water bottle. I can't believe it. No, you knew you like, yeah, there's water in the bottle. That's what comes out of the bottle. Because that's what Jesus is saying. What's in you and notice where he says it, it's in you. It's in your heart. It's in this core part of your life. And, and, and that's why Solomon comes and when he talks about wisdom, he says, you've got to deal with your heart most of all. And, and, and as you look at it, just to, to step back one step further, 
I mean, all of us, we got to admit the natural condition of our hearts. Part of the reason you see so much foolishness in the world is it's a heart problem. It's not a hip problem. And, and scripture describes it this, this way. One scripture says there's a sickness in all of our hearts. There's a sickness. And I'm not saying every person you look at him and go, you're a sicko. You're, you're the most despicable person you could be. But every person is infected. Look how Jeremiah puts it. The heart, and, and this is one of the most sobering verses to me. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Now, he is not saying that all of us are liars all the time. No, it's, that, it's actually more sobering than that. What, what he's saying is the heart is deceitful and the person it's deceiving is us. Our own heart deceives us. It's desperately sick. We, we don't even understand ourselves in our natural condition. So I, I go back to that Proverb 14. There's a way that seems right to a person, to a man, but in the end, it's death. You could go, how in the world would the way that seems right to me actually lead to death? How in the world would the way that seems like, man, this is the best life for me, actually lead me away from that life? Because my own heart is deceitful. And my own heart can deceive me in that. Guys, these verses, I think, speak so much to what's going on right now in our culture. Uh, a few years ago, I saw Oprah Winfrey get an award. And Oprah, you know, she's great at what she does. But she made a statement in it. And, and, and as she received the award, listen to the exact statement that she said. She said in it, what I know for sure is that speaking your truth is the most powerful tool we all have. Now in, inserted in it was a little phrase that has become so embedded in our culture, we kind of glance right over it. Notice what she said, speaking, and again, we should all speak up for what we believe in that, but notice what she said, speaking your truth. I mean, it's the most predominant thing in our culture right now, my truth, my reality. And so I've got to live my truth. I've got to live your truth. And who am I to speak to your truth and I have my truth? And, and it's become so predominant in our culture. We, do, we just kind of glance over it, not recognizing this is the core of the problem. And what happens if your truth comes up against my truth? What, what happens when a mom or dad decides that their truth, their reality is they're unhappy. And certainly God wants them to be happy. So they just break up the home over that. And you go, well, what about the kids? Well, the kids would want me to be happy. And so living in unhappiness is the worst thing I can show my kids. And I go, really? Because none of the studies confirm that. But that's my truth. And so I'm gonna make that decision based on my truth. Folks, folks, people are making lifetime decisions and young people in particular are making lifetime decisions about gender and sexuality and money and, and 
all different things, major categories that have huge consequences. And when you ask him about it, the core of it is, it's my truth. But let me ask you this question. What if your truth is actually a lie? And you go, well, it can't be a lie, it's my truth. It can be a lie if your heart is lying to you. See, if if your heart is the one that is perpetrating the deceit, it can be a lie. And guys, the, the consequences are devastating right now in our culture, right on this issue. And, and any of us can fall for it. Even in small ways, how many times have you told yourself, man, if I just had X, then I'm gonna be happy. If I just got this, if I got this job or this promotion or this car that I've been dreaming about, this car. And we tell ourselves, man, that's gonna make me happy. And then you get it and what happens? You get used to it. Because part of it is that, that deceit of chasing things in, culture psychologists call it the hedonic treadmill that we that we tell ourselves oh that next thing is going to be the thing when really it's it's a deception that you're going to get used to it just like you're used to your current time see all of us have this sickness of heart and it's rooted in the second problem we have a sinfulness in our heart this is why we have sicknesses because we're sinful and we were born sinful and it impacts us. And so Proverbs says in Proverbs 29, who can say I've made my heart pure? Am I clean from my sin? There's just this recognition of, I don't even have the ability to fix my own heart. And certainly the ability to clean my heart. And, and we don't realize it when a whole culture is moving like this, you, you don't realize it as much. That's why Romans 1, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God. He's talking about a whole culture of people or give thanks to him. When people turn from God, when they move from it, when you lose the fear of the Lord and you certainly don't trust the Lord, what's happening? You're moving away from wisdom. And with it, they became futile in your thinking. Your thinking even becomes futile. You start thinking really dumb things. You start thinking things and you can look at it culturally that you go, how could that many people really believe that? Why? Because their foolish hearts were darkened. So foolish hearts become darker hearts. That's why this is so serious. That's why I believe this, this series is so important, hear me. I think as a culture, we've gotten so far away, we've lost a sense of the fear of the Lord. People don't trust God. And, and then you, you take that step on top of it and, and foolish hearts become darker hearts. That's why in a series, you can kind of hear it and go, well, it's a series on Proverbs, it's wisdom and how to do some practical things in life. Guys, it runs so much deeper than that. It runs to the very heart of who you are. And that's why all of scripture, no matter where you are in the Bible, ultimately it always points us back to Jesus. 
Guys, the only solution for this is Jesus. The, the only person who can bring cure is Jesus. And, and so that's why just in this, only Christ can change the condition of your heart. You can read all the self-help books. You can read all the books of wisdom literature. You can read what people say are smart all the time. You can fill your, your life with more and more knowledge and maybe it'll make you make some better decisions, but only one person can change your heart. And it's out of your heart that you're making all the decisions of your life. That's why the gospel's so important. That's why we all desperately need Jesus. That's why I love when Paul says in Romans 10, Romans one, we just read, he said, foolish hearts become darkened. But he says this to anyone. He says, if anyone, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You know who you're saved from? You're saved from wrath of God. You're saved from judgment, but you're also saved from you. You're saved from your own deceitful heart that I don't have to listen to this deceit anymore because God's promised to change it. God's promised to change me. See, for with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. See, Jesus wants to change us so that I don't have to be trapped in that. And, and, and I love how he promises in John 7. Look what he says. On the last day of the great day, Jesus stood and cried out. He makes this promise. He said, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Isn't that a great promise? See, if you trust and believe Jesus as Savior and Lord. Jesus says, I want to change you so that what flows out of you is not the normal foolishness that would come out of you. It'll be living water. It's Christ out of you. It's Christ in you. And, and out of that becomes those decisions now are not led by deceitfulness or sickness of my own heart or my own sinfulness. I'm led by the one who's willing to give me a new heart one who's willing to live within me and flow out of me into all of life. Guys, this, this is why I say, no matter what book we're preaching through, no matter what part of the Bible you're reading, even if you go to the book of Proverbs, that's the most practical, and you go, oh man, this has such practical life wisdom, it all points back to Jesus. It all shows us how much we desperately need Jesus. And when you begin any journey toward wisdom, it will always lead you to the cross, to what Christ did for you, so you can live in it. In fact, some of you here today, you desperately need this. You desperately need, more than anything else, you need to stop where you are in your seat right now and you need to call out to Jesus and go, Jesus, you are my savior and you are my Lord and I need your forgiveness and I need a new heart. And you don't need to wait to the end of the message. You don't need to wait for anything else. You need to tell him that right now. Right now. Trust him with all your heart. 
Don't lean on your own understanding. Right now, believe in your heart so he can change you. And, and for those of us here that you go, yeah, Tim, I trust him and I believe him and I'm so thankful he's changed me. Solomon's warning to us then, okay, if you've been changed, if you have living water, are you guarding that well? Are you guarding that heart? And, and as we finish out, just practically, to live in wisdom means diligently guarding our hearts. And so here's some things I just ask you and ask me and ask all of us, just to be able to check and go, am I doing this? Am I guarding my heart? Hey, here's the first one. Check your inputs. What is going into your heart and mind? Check your inputs. What, what, what do you take in daily? So when you think of that living water, if I came up on a, a pristine stream that was there, and I knew that it was the water supply for people downstream, if I knew that people had to drink out of it, Man, I would, I would protect that. We have watersheds. We have places where they protect the water for that very reason. And that's the image that, that Solomon is, is putting for us is, man, if out of your heart it's going to be the flow of your whole life, what are you doing to protect that? And so when I say protect your heart, I'm not just saying protect your emotions. See, immediately we go back to the emotional part. And so even if we say that, you better protect your heart. What do we say? Well, you better protect your emotions because he's going to break your heart. That's usually what we mean in that or some way with that romantically. Now, it's much broader than that. When you think of protecting your heart, remember, it's your mind. It's your will. It's your emotions. It's all of it. What are you doing to protect it? And so let me just ask you again, what are the inputs into your life? What are, what are, you, what are you reading? What are you watching? What are you partaking in? And let me go... One step further, how are you partaking? Because it's not just what's going in now, it's how it's going in. Uh, listen to this uh, book. It's, it's entitled The Shallows. It's what the internet is doing to our brains. It's by Nicholas Carr. It's a fascinating book. And it's not just, when he says the internet, he's talking about all devices. And especially as things have moved toward phones and social media and other things, it's actually sped up this process. He, he says the the internet and this technology is actually a technology of forgetfulness. Thanks to the plasticity of our neural pathways, thanks to the ways your brain can change with that, our brains are literally being rewired by digital distraction. The more we use the web, the more we use phones, the more we train our brain to be distracted, to process information very quickly and very efficiently, but without sustained attention, that helps explain why many of us find it hard to concentrate even when we're away from the devices. Our brains have become adept at forgetting, inept at remembering. We've rewired them in a way that it's harder to remember. It's much harder to concentrate. We're actually reading more than ever. We're reading a novel's worth of words every day, most people. But it's not the sort of continuous, sustained, concentrated reading conducive for reflective thinking. And our rapid fire toggling between spectacles, an episode of a Hulu show, a Spotify album, scanning a friend's blog post, watching this video, all of that works against wisdom in the moment by eliminating any time for reflection or synthesis before the next thing beckons. It also works against wisdom in the long term as brain research is showing. 
Our overstimulated brains are becoming weaker, less critical, more gullible at a time in history when we need them to be sharper than ever. Well, that was sobering, wasn't it? And, and, and that was, he was writing when most things were word-based. Now it's moved to video-based. And so Wired Magazine a few months ago had a fascinating article about TikTok. There's, there's over a billion TikTok users now. And, and the biggest complaint by most of the TikTok users is they don't want a video over a minute. In fact, a third of them that were surveyed, TikTok users said, if it's over a minute, it makes me anxious. About the same number, so about 333 million TikTok users, they watch all the videos now on TikTok on double speed because they're gonna see it faster. And, and, and as one guy in the article said, it, it was interesting, this is Wired Magazine, it, I mean, he said, it's not because I don't have time. I just can't concentrate. If it's over a minute, I can't concentrate on it. The average TikTok user spends an hour and 25 minutes on the app a day. They check on it 17 times a day on average. Guys, we're rewiring our brains. It's making us more anxious. And, and, and so, you know, I used to preach a message on this of what's going in, but the medium has become the message. And so we have to ask ourselves now, how is it going in? How am I taking in information? And, and both those pointed out, this militates against concentration, making good decisions, and long-term wisdom. And I would love to say, oh, it's those young people on their phones. Come on, let's be honest. So I ask you, what are your inputs? What's going in? With that, what are your outputs? Where are you putting it in action? Here's the thing about wisdom. It's not just learning stuff. It's, it's actually putting it in action. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 7, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man. Notice who he points. Who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it didn't fall because it had a foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against the house and it fell with a great crash. Jesus said, let me tell you what a wise person does and let me tell you what a first foolish person does. Notice both the wise person and the foolish heard the words. Both of them came to church that week. But one of them actually put it in action. And Jesus said that builds a foundation in your life. Because here's the reality. It doesn't matter if you're wise or foolish. Notice in the story, whether you're wise or foolish, the storms are coming. Everybody goes through storms. The storms come and the waters rise. I don't care who you are. 
So this isn't some, if you'll just do all these things, your life will be great. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches the reality. You live in the same fallen world with everyone else. The difference though is, I don't live a life where I'm just hearing things and I'm hearing sermon and I'm hearing the latest podcast and I've watched this guy and I've watched. We become people that we're taking in more than ever before. Jesus says, yeah, that's still foolish, if you're not doing it, if you're not applying it. So let me ask you, where are your inputs? Where's your output? Third thing you can check on this, check your schedule. Where are you making the most of your time? This is one of the easiest ways. If you really wanna do a foolishness audit in your own life, just pull out your calendar, pull out your schedule. Apple makes it really easy. I don't know if Android does this as well. I'm sure it does. Pull out your phone and get your weekly summary of how many hours you spent on which apps. How many hours a day was I on it? It's just a helpful way. And look how Paul puts it. He says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Again, we're back in that wisdom. How are you gonna make these right kind of decisions in life? Making the best use of the time because the days are evil. He says, guys, there's not time to waste like that. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Again, these are not rocket science things that you look at and go, man, I could never figure that out. It really does come down to core habits of the heart and life. Because remember, wisdom is able to make decisions in the moment. And if you're making 35,000 decisions in a moment, a lot of times they come quickly. And so if you've not prepared ahead of time, if you're not investing in the right input, so you're spending time in God's word, you're spending time reflecting on what he said, you're spending time talking to him, engaging with others, you're not gonna be prepared in those moments. You know, this summer, uh, probably my favorite movie of the summer is Top Gun. It was awesome, wasn't it? I mean, it's fun. You see it, you know, Tom Cruise, maybe it took me all the way back to the 80s. So for those of us, you know, with that, but the best part of the whole thing is watching these fighter pilots. And and when they get into that and, and those who talk about it, you know, it's a $27 million aircraft you have. And the split second decisions they have to make, especially in a dogfight. They don't have time in the middle of it to kind of go, hmm, what should I do now? They have to be so trained that they're ready in the moment. Okay, here's the right decision based on what's coming at me, based on this moment. And, And so there was hours and hours of voluntary preparation so that they were prepared to make involuntary, spontaneous decisions that were right in the moment. And this is what we're talking about here. This is what Solomon's calling us to. How are you training your heart, training your life so that in those moments when the storm comes, So that in those moments when you're confronted with foolishness, so that in those moments when you feel even the pull of your own heart. See, you've prepared for those decisions in advance. 
What's your inputs? What's your outputs? How are you guarding your schedule? How are you spending that time? Now, I've given you just one practical application. I'd encourage you, if you hadn't picked it up or even if you are doing it, just for right now, would you read one proverb a day? If you're not a Bible reader, it's a great way to start. In fact, tomorrow is August 1st. Open your Bible to Proverbs 1. And then on August 2nd, you open your Bible to Proverbs 2. And if you miss a day or two, you know what you do? You look at the calendar and you go, what is today? Okay, and turn to that proverb. But start spending some time. And remember, the goal of it is not I'm trying to get through this information as much as possible. I'm trying to let it soak into my life. I'm trying to learn from it. So that when I come to something during the day, I promise you, especially in the book of Proverbs, you'll hit things throughout your day that you'll go, it spoke to that this morning. And I'm building this wisdom bank in my life. Final thing I just tell you to do is check your anxiety level. Check your anxiety level. And this is a great way just to ask yourself, what is making me anxious? Because it's usually something I need to give to God. My anxiety's gone up so much about it, even though I've prepared for it, I'm still anxious about it. I, I, I love this verse, I go back to it again and again. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, you pray. Prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And look what God does, look what God does. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, a peace that we can't really even fathom, will guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. Isn't this great, this, this, one of the key things prayer does for us is it places God on guard over our hearts. I love that God never asks us to do anything that he's not willing to do for us and with us. Jesus never asked us to save ourselves because he knew we couldn't, so he died for us. God knows that we don't even have the ability to become more like Christ on our own, so he changes us. And, and even as he calls you and me, he says, hey, man, guard your heart. Man, it's the wellspring. But if you'll talk to me, if you'll ask me, boy, I'd love to set guard over it too. I, I'd love to bring a peace that you won't even understand because I wanna do for you what you can't even do for yourself. Because wisdom really comes down to time with God, life with God, so that we develop a heart for God. It's the way of wisdom. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you how it speaks so directly to our lives. I thank you that you are a good father. So you mean what you say because you want us to flourish. You don't want us caught up in the foolishness even of our own hearts. Lord, I, I pray today for those that maybe they're here and uh, they've never taken that step of trusting you with their heart and with their life, of declaring Jesus as Savior and Lord. I, I pray, would you give them the courage to declare it now? Lord, I pray for those that maybe in a, as I was preaching this, they've recognized that they're not guarding their heart. 
There's things coming in that they just need to eliminate. Would you give them the courage to ruthlessly eliminate anything that's stealing life? Lord, we thank you most of all that these things you call us to do, you do for us and with us and in us. And so even now, I I pray that the peace of God that passes all understanding would guard our hearts and minds as we look to you in Christ Jesus, in whose name we pray, amen. We hope today's message encouraged you in your journey of faith. To keep up with the latest messages and what's happening, make sure to subscribe to this podcast and visit venture.cc.